The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that it has and buys that field. The word of God for the people of God. So I, uh, I wasn't home from vacation in time to go to the movie with everybody else on, on Tuesday. I ended up going to a Wednesday matinee of Little Women. And so on Wednesday afternoon in the movie theater, it was just me and a whole lot of 80-year-old women uh, watching, <laughs> watching the movie together, which was great. I love 80-year-old women. Uh, 80-year-old women are some of my favorite people. In fact, they're really, they're my core demographic, right? And so, so I had a great time with, uh, with the 80-year-old women who were at the movie theater on Wednesday afternoon. The thing that surprised me, the thing that I hadn't anticipated, is that I seemed to enjoy the movie Little Women a lot more than they did. As we were walking out of the theater, I sort of slid on over next to a group of ladies who were walking out together so I could eavesdrop on their conversation and, and hear what they had to say about the movie. And I was, I was surprised to discover that they really didn't like the movie very much. They were saying things like it was too long. There were too many plot lines. There were too many characters. It was too hard to follow. There was too much jumping back and forth in time. There were too many women. I hadn't anticipated that, but one of the, one of the ladies as she was walking out actually said there were too many women in a movie that was called Little Women that was based on a book named Little Women, right? I, I was surprised to discover that the ladies who were there on Wednesday afternoon, they didn't enjoy the movie nearly as much as I did. I loved this movie. I absolutely fell in love with this movie. It was, it was beautifully filmed. It was beautifully written. It was beautifully acted. I fell in love with the story. I fell in love with the characters, right? So, so at the heart of the movie, at the heart of this story, there are these four March sisters. The youngest sister is Beth. Beth is the, the shy one. She's a quiet and compassionate sister who encourages everybody she meets, but all she really wants to do is just play the piano. She can get lost in her music, spending hour after hour just playing the piano. And the oldest sister is, is Meg. Meg is, is a gifted actor, and all of her sisters want her to become a famous actor, but all that Meg really wants to do is to follow her dream of falling in love and getting married and starting starting a family and living in a little house with a white picket fence. And, and then there's, there's Amy. Amy is the quintessential middle sister. She wants to go to Europe and become the greatest painter in the world. But what she really wants but won't say is just, just wants to outshine her older sisters, just wants to be the center of attention, just wants to be the person everybody, everybody notices. And finally, the, the fourth sister is Joe, right? And Joe is the center of gravity in the movie, and she's the center of gravity in this family. Since 1868, Joe has been everybody's favorite of the four sisters. Joe is, is free-spirited and independent. She spends the whole movie telling people that she doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to fall in love. She keeps telling people, I want to be a happy spinster and paddle my own canoe. What, what Joe wants to do is she wants to become a, a famous writer. She wants to write stories and she wants to write novels and she wants to become published and she wants to make a name for herself. And as the movie opens, we discover that Joe is beginning to live out that dream. She's found a publisher who is willing to, to print her stories. 
And at the very beginning of the movie, the, the publisher gives her some advice. The publisher says, listen, the country has just been through a civil war. And so people want to be distracted and people want to be entertained. And what they want are stories of adventure and mayhem and guts and gore. So write those kinds of stories and I will pay you for that sort of story. I will print that sort of story. And so Joe starts writing these stories of mayhem and adventure and guts and blood and gore. And the stories are selling and she's being published. She's living her dream. But as the movie goes on, Joe discovers that there's another story that she wants to tell. And so she starts a, a side project. She starts writing these other little stories, stories about her sisters, stories about her family, stories about their neighbors and their communities. She writes stories about going to buy fabric for a, a new dress. She writes stories about skating on a frozen pond in the winter. She writes so many of these stories about her family that eventually these stories begin to, to take the shape of a novel. And then one day her sisters ask her, Joe, what have you been working on? What have you been writing? And she says, well, I have been writing something, but I don't think it's very good. He said, well, what is it about? She said, it's about us and our little lives. And they said, well, are you going to have it published? And she said, why would I have it published? She said, who, who would want to read it? She said, who would want to read a story of, of ordinary domestic joys and struggles? It's not really of any importance, is it? And then Amy, the middle sister, delivers one of the best lines of the whole movie. Amy turns to Joe and she says, well, maybe people don't think that these things are important because nobody writes about them. Maybe if you were to write about them, that would make them important. I love that line. I love that moment. When, when Amy said that, I couldn't help but think about Jesus, because of course I couldn't help but think about Jesus, right? One of the things that I love about Jesus, one of the things that we often miss about Jesus is that Jesus is constantly telling stories about ordinary people and their ordinary lives, in the Gospels, when we read about Jesus, as he's preaching to people, Jesus hardly ever preaches a sermon where he starts by reading a scripture and then he says, okay, everybody, now let me tell you what that Bible passage means. As a matter of fact, in all of the stories about Jesus in the Gospels, he only does that one time. It's his very first sermon. The, the Gospels tell us that Jesus, when he preaches his very first sermon, he goes back to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he walks up in front of all of the people, and then he reads from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And then Jesus says, and now everyone, let me tell you what this passage from Scripture means. And when Jesus finishes that sermon, it turns out the people hated the sermon so much that they dragged Jesus out of the synagogue and tried to throw him off a cliff. Now, I'm not saying that they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff because he preached a boring sermon. I am saying that he never preached a sermon that way for the whole rest of his ministry. Instead, for the rest of his ministry, what we discover Jesus doing when he talks to people, when he preaches to the crowds, is Jesus begins every sermon by telling a story, a story about some ordinary person who suddenly stumbles across God as they're doing the ordinary things in their lives. And Jesus says, if you want to know what the face of God looks like, watch a man planting seeds in his garden. 
If you want to know what the face of God looks like, watch a woman baking bread in her kitchen. If you want to know what the face of God looks like, watch a farmer working out in the field. Watch a fisherman out in his boat. If you want to know what the face of God looks like, Jesus says, watch ordinary people doing ordinary things day after day after day and suddenly discover that they are standing on top of treasures. In this morning's scripture reading, Jesus tells us this story. He said, once there was a man who went out into the field He was working in the field. He was turning over the earth when suddenly he discovered that there was a treasure in the field. Now, this doesn't feel like an ordinary story to us. This doesn't feel like something that that might happen to an actual person. But in the time of Jesus, the people he was talking to would have understood that this was absolutely something that happened to people all the time. My family and I, we just came back from a, a trip to the United Kingdom. And the very last day of our trip, we went to the city of Bath. We went to a, a museum in the city of Bath. If you ever get the chance to go to this museum in the city of Bath, what you will discover there is, is a treasure that was discovered just a few years ago. In 2007, some workers were, were digging a, a hole in the city of Bath when they stumbled across a, a treasure. They stumbled across eight bags of coins that had been buried in, in the soil hundreds of years ago. These coins, they all dated from around the time of Jesus. In these eight bags of coins, there were more than 17,500 silver coins. The value of these coins is something like half a million dollars in today's money. Nobody knows who buried this treasure? Nobody knows why. Maybe it was somebody who was going off on a a long journey and didn't trust the servants to look after the money while they were gone. Maybe that person never came back from that journey. Maybe these coins were buried at a time when the city was being invaded or under attack. Maybe they were buried by somebody who didn't like the looks of the stock market and wanted to put their money in a safer place. We don't know who buried this treasure. We don't know why. What we do know is that this sort of thing happened all the time in the ancient world, still in the United Kingdom, still throughout Europe, still in the Middle East. Day after day, farmers will discover buried in their fields treasures, pots of of coins, sacks of treasure that were buried hundreds and even thousands of years ago. And this is what happens to the man in Jesus' story. Jesus said one day a man goes out to to work in the fields. And this man, he's something like the the migrant laborers who come to Michigan every year to to pick the cherries during the the cherry harvest. This man is a, a field hand. He's a farm worker who is just barely managing to scrape out an existence for himself and his family by working in somebody else's field. Every day he gets up and he goes out into the hot sun and he gets dirt under his fingernails. And every night he comes home with a sore back and with knots in his shoulders. But this one day, as he's working in the field, as he's turning over the earth, he sees something shining. And so he digs, he uncovers it, and he discovers that a treasure has been buried there in the field. And now this worker, he's got to decide what is he going to do. He can't just dig up the treasure and take it home. If the other workers see him with the treasure, they might take it from him. If the farmer finds out about the treasure, he can claim it as his because it was found in his field. And so this worker does the only thing he can think to do. He covers up the treasure again, and then he goes home and he sells everything of value that he owns. He sells the suit that he was married in. He sells his wife's engagement ring. He sells his old pickup truck. He sells all of the plates and all of the silverware, everything that will get him any money he sells. And then he takes that money 
He brings it back to the farmer and he makes an offer. He buys the field from the farmer. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who suddenly discovers that he is standing on a treasure. The kingdom of God is like a man who lets go of everything that he has so he can receive an even greater treasure. There are moments like that all through this movie. All through this movie, there are moments when people discover that they are standing on top of treasures that they haven't even seen. All through this movie, there are moments of small sacrifice and ordinary generosity in which people let go of a small treasure and suddenly discover that they are receiving, in turn, a greater treasure. Probably the best example, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, takes place on on Christmas morning. So on Christmas morning, the four sisters are gathered around in their living room and they're waiting for their parents to to show up so they can have their Christmas breakfast. And they're hungry and they're cranky and all morning they've been complaining about how tired they are of being poor. Isn't it a drag being poor? They complain about the clothes that they have to wear. They wish they had nicer clothes. They complain that there's not more food on the table. They complain that there aren't more gifts to be given on Christmas morning. And then finally their mother arrives and they sit around the table and they get ready to eat their Christmas breakfast and then their mother looks at them and she says, girls, there's something I need to ask you. And their mother makes a request. She says, not far from here there is a a family and this family, the five children have been sleeping five to a bed just to keep warm and they don't have any food at all to eat on this Christmas day. Would you give them your Christmas breakfast as a gift this morning? And it is so clear that the girls don't want to do it. I love the way that this scene is written. I love the way that this scene is acted because these four sisters look at each other and it is clear that they are angry and resentful that their mother would even ask them to do such a thing because they know that there's only one thing they can say in that moment. They have to say yes. And so they load up their Christmas breakfast and they walk down the road and they walk into this one-room shack. And as they walk into this shack, suddenly they realize that they have not been living in poverty after all all. They have no idea what real poverty means. They can't believe the way that this family has been living. They can't believe the rags that these children are wearing as they spread what had seemed like a very humble Christmas breakfast out on the small table in this family's one room, how suddenly that breakfast looks like a feast. And so they begin to play with the children and they begin to discover some of the joy of Christmas morning. And by the time they leave that little shack, their bellies are empty, but their hearts are full because they realize what a gift they have, what a treasure they have in their snug, warm home, in the food, in the pantry, in the family to watch over them, in the love that they share. They walk home and their hearts are full and then they walk back into their house and they see that their own table is suddenly piled high with mountains of food. A great Christmas feast has been deposited on their table. It turns out their wealthy neighbor, a a man who they barely know, a man who they're even a little bit afraid of, has seen what they did that morning. He saw them giving away their Christmas breakfast. And he was so inspired by their kindness and generosity that he, in turn, did the same thing. He had this feast that was more food than he would ever be able to eat himself. He had this feast carried over and delivered to their home. In letting go of their smaller treasure, they received a much greater treasure. They discovered the blessings they didn't even know that they had. The kingdom of God, Jesus says 
is like a man who discovers he's been standing on a treasure all along. The kingdom of God is like an ordinary person living an ordinary life who lets go of their ordinary treasure and receives something far greater. Our lives are important, Jesus says. Our ordinary lives are filled with meaning. Our ordinary lives are filled with the presence and the power of God if only we have eyes to see. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see that these ordinary things we do, even in extraordinary times, are of deep and eternal importance. God, help us to believe in the power of small acts of compassion and kindness and generosity. God, help us to see the treasure right underneath our feet. God, send us home with glad and grateful hearts. In Jesus we pray. Amen.